Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Bouncesor. And today, we're going to be doing the weekly recap, and honestly, we have quite a bit to cover from recruiting to soccer, weirdly enough, yeah. and then a little bit of the Bat Cats, but the majority of this episode will probably be spent on the recruiting cycle. And we're not just talking about subtractions from the football team, which really at this point I think is Xavier Lloyd, the receiver, and Nelson Pipes, who honestly, the fact that we've lost him, need to burn the program down because Nelson Pipes, he sure, he sure does. does. But <laughs> anyway, outside of that, we're going to start off with the women's basketball team, and they got a transfer in in a former Arizona forward, Gisela Sanchez, who last year for the Arizona Wildcats was a 47% shooter from three, which, believe me, we both said it whenever we were asked the question of what should K-State look for in the portal. We both agreed that they needed another shooter. Yep. We found another shooter. We found multiple shooters. We found multiple shooters. We found two. Now with Gabby Gregory from OU, you add a career pretty good shooter at the exception of last season, which I thought was really strange. But to me, that seemed like a situation where there was just some sort of nagging injury. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But it's just weird to go from such high production from a freshman sophomore season to a pretty uh, below average junior season. But... I don't know, back to Gisela Sanchez. Uh, just a freshman last season. Didn't get a ton of playing time, but it was on granted a pretty good Arizona squad. Yeah. I believe they finished in the top 15 in the polls. And then I think she averaged about three points in 20-ish games. Uh, but she, what she does do is bring a versatile player to a position where we were definitely lacking last season, which was the four. Yeah. And with, with Heavenly Greer unable to get eligible for whatever reason. The NCAA just decided not to. We mention it every time. We hope to see her. We might never. We may never see her. But I really hope that we do. But uh, it's clear that we're going to be much improved at that spot because I do really like Emily Everett, but... She doesn't fit that position really well. And then Laura Mackey, uh, she was pretty good as a four in the post, but didn't really bring the range that I think that the team desperately needed uh, to that position either. So bringing in Gisela Sanchez is somebody that, at least in a small quantity, proved that she could be effective from long distance. I'd imagine 47% is not going to hold no, with I mean, additional plans. I'd allow that. I would but, certainly allow it, and we're probably making it yeah. to the Elite Eight. <laughs> yeah, but if she can offer as a 6-3 forward 35% from three, that would be really great, I think, especially with what I'm I'm uh, hoping that... Uh, We'll see from the guards is like a, at least a slight bump in their percentages uh, as they get a season under their belt yeah. and just get more experienced. And the four will also be, of course, shored up with uh, the arrival of Eliza Maupin, who from the few highlights that we have been able to see, because women's basketball recruiting is criminally just, undercovered. I was going to say a bottomless void, but <laughs> <laughs> because there's just nothing in it. Yeah, like. And Which is a shame. But. It, it really is. And, like, 
like ESPN has like not updated their recruiting page to include any of the McDonald's All-Americans that Casey has committed for next year, which is four. So ESPN is really behind the ball there. And from what I can tell, they're one of the only uh, publications or places that has any sort of recruiting service for women's basketball. And it pretty much starts and stops with like the top 20-ish schools. Yep. So... Which, granted, K-State has been in that list for this year. I think we had, like, a top 15 recruiting class last year. Uh, I, it, it'd have to be. Which, I mean, like, I, I think that's more of a speculation than anything. You'd have to be top 15 bringing in four McDonald's All-Americans, I would think. You would think. But, you know, it's just, it's tough because 24-7 doesn't have anything like that. Rivals doesn't have anything uh, resembling women's basketball recruiting service which granted Rivals is struggling all around right now. But hopefully maybe newer services like On3 will uh, bring something to the table. Yeah, hopefully so. Yeah, they the women's basketball team have one scholarship remaining, so it'll be very interesting to see what they use. Well, barring any transfers out, they have one scholarship remaining. It'll be very interesting to see. We've got two shooters. I think you said you wanted another ball handler, and I wanted another backup big to yeah. like to back up. I, I think that's right. Which I'm fine with either of those options. Like I, I'd love to see somebody come in and be able to uh be tutored under a Yoko Lee uh, maybe a younger player. It's probably gonna be tough to find someone like that in the portal. Yeah. But if it's possible I think that should be someone we get. But with the departure of Simone Goodrich Probably going to need another ball handler. Granted, we do have some freshmen coming in, but maybe somebody a little older, someone similar to Sidney Goodson, uh, where a seasoned veteran that's played at a high level and is using one final year of eligibility uh, at a, a new school. So, so that that could be a potentially really useful addition. Yep. So that is the women's basketball edition. Welcome to the family, Gisela Sanchez. But now we get to talk about the news that everyone is talking about because, well, it's it's hot off the presses with a brand new head coach, and that is the men's cats get ball transfers in. And there are two transfers in, as well as a big visit happening today, I suppose, when the episode is coming out, which is Friday the 22nd of April. But before we get ahead of ourselves with that, let's talk about the transfers in. The first one and the first new member of the Doomtang clan, which, yes, I'm still calling it that. Not going to stop calling it that. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> Is the former LSU big man, Jarrell Colbert. What do you have on him, Connor? Uh, well, Colbert, he was a former five-star. He eventually slipped down to a four-star ranking. I believe he peaked somewhere in the top 15 in the recruiting rankings. And there's some uh, speculation about him potentially having reclassified, but I've seen some questions about that recently, like on if he actually did or if he just slipped in the rankings a bit. But everything I've heard up until this point is that he was originally a 2022 recruit that reclassified to 21 and was a 2022 five-star and then became a four-star after he uh, moved up a season uh, for his college eligibility. And then he, he committed to LSU. Of course, those of you who are remotely paying attention to the portal know that LSU's entire team is in the portal. Yep. And all of their future commits, which we'll be coming back to that as well in a little bit, uh, 
uh, are all decommitted. But Jarrell Colbert, um, he was somebody that did not get a ton of playing time last season, but that's not without, I would consider, pretty good reason. Because, as I understand, Jarrell Colbert was playing behind a projected uh, first-round pick for uh, the NBA draft upcoming, as well as a the SEC Sixth Man of the Year, and tough crowd, so, tough, yeah. tough to tough to break through. Yes, with that. <laughs> yes, I. So it it is definitely very difficult, despite and it being an incredible talent. It is going to be very, very, very difficult to break through in that sort of situation. Uh, he was playing at least behind uh, Tari Eason as well as Darius Days. Uh, both averaging uh, in the middle teens in terms of points. Those were the two leading scorers for LSU this past season. But Drell Colbert, he only got playing time in four games, uh, only scored two points on the whole season. Uh, But we can draw some conclusions from this, one of which is that he did register for the amount of time he played, which again is not much, did register a decent rate of rebounding. And he also um, had a really nice rate of shot blocking, which there's some debate on if shot blocking is actually useful. And I, I'm kind of in the camp of indifference because it's an exciting play, but sometimes it does lead to situations where it breaks down your defense and you just block it to a different player on offense who then gets a wide open shot. Yeah. But it is nice to get a big man with some length. He is six foot ten. About 220 right now. And he also attempted a three-point shot in one of their games. So it, it seems like, to me, he's somebody that fits the mold of Carlton Lingard, but significantly more athletic and uh, hopefully a better rebounder as well. Because Carlton Lingard is effectively that same build. And this guy could hopefully become what we wanted Carlton Lingard to be, which was a floor runner that could rebound and block shots and also step out and take a three if needed. But Jarrell Colbert, his high school film is remarkably athletic, a really good rebounder, has some really nice post moves as well. I mean, he's he's going to step in and be probably the best true big that has been on a K-State roster in a decade. And that's not a slight to guys that have been on the roster. That's just Jarrell Colbert is an incredibly athletic prospect that didn't get a lot of playing time because he was just on a really good team. Yeah. So, and he is listed as a center on LSU's roster, but even then, he was dealing with playing behind another uh, true freshman who was getting 20 minutes a game, 6.3 points per game, basically doing everything that Terrell Colbert was already doing, except he didn't reclassify, so he's a bit more developed. But Colbert, maybe in terms of build, fits somewhere in between the traditional five and more the modern five, which is something that I think we're going to see a lot more at Jerome Tang. Less of the McCall Maywean's, Davion Bradford's of the world that are your traditional rim-protecting fives, and more of someone like Flo Thamba or Jonathan Chachua, both Baylor guys, who will run the floor and uh, just be generally like a more athletic uh, player than that traditional five role. But Drell Colbert... Phenomenally talented player. And I bet there's there's no way you can't look at this as a massive recruiting win and a great addition to the team. Yep. So that's that's really exciting, especially just 
that recruiting pedigree, which, you know, I'm not saying that K-State has never gotten high-rated recruits before, but especially given the next guy, the shooting guard, Cam Carter, it's, it's a nice change of pace, you know? Which, speaking of, the next member of the Doomtang clan is former Mississippi State shooting guard Cameron Carter, or Killer Cam, as some people are calling him, most notably Ish Masood on Twitter. And he was ranked, well, actually, no, I'm not going to steal your thunder. You can keep going with that. You're better at covering recruiting than I. But Cam Carter, a shooting guard um, out of Virginia in high school, uh, he was a four-star on 24-7 and a highly rated three-star on Rivals. So kind of riding that line in between being a four-star and a three-star. But regardless, he was a consensus uh, top 150 among the major recruiting services. And that's for good reason. Although, as we understand it, Mississippi State kind of was a program in turmoil last year. <laughs> and their coach was fired uh, in this offseason. And... They, they've, again, had a lot of roster turnover. But Cam Carter is somebody that was very impressive in the limited amount of playing time that he was getting. So, again, he's someone that he does have a large sample size of games, but not of minutes necessarily. Probably someone that deserves more than 8.2 minutes per game. <laughs> but he he's six foot three, 185, uh, averaged 2.2 a game. Uh, 0.8 rebounds, 0.9 assists, 0.7 turnovers, 0.4 steals. Not a ton that you can draw from eight minutes a game. But what we do know about him is, again, he's a really good athlete. He's a very sound defender as well. He's not so much like, at least from what we were able to tell, like the Barry Browns of the past where they're very aggressive defensively and they're going to go out and get a steal. But he's more of a defender that's going to just sit in front of you. And he's going to make it very difficult. For you to get past him uh, hopefully he can take on the Selton Miguel role where on defense he's going to be the stopper and he's going to just eliminate the the best offensive weapon for every team that we face that's that's what we can hope for from Cam Carter but you also have to like what he can potentially create offensively yes he did shoot 30 percent from three but again that's I'm not sure if we can draw too much from that. Small sample size. Yeah, very small sample size. Uh, Only averaging 0.73 point attempts per game. So not a lot. Against Alabama at one point, he in the most game action he got all season, got 28 minutes, 15 points, 4-12 from the field, but then 3-6 from 3 and made all four of his free throw attempts. And then he had 3 assists to 1 turnover a steal and two rebounds but again you know like that three of six right there i mean that's like doing a lot for his numbers but at the same time you know he's like one or two makes away from probably shooting up five percent and then one or two misses away from doing the exact opposite so he's somebody that was really highly thought of out of high school probably wasn't utilized properly this past season so I, I'm excited about Cam Carter. Not quite as excited as I am about Jarrell Colbert, just because Jarrell Colbert is just a more obviously just elite athlete level guy. And Cam Carter is somebody that I think that we're going to enjoy having on the roster. And he fills a needed void at shooting guard where there's there's a very obvious gap at the moment. But we now are at the point where we can field or play. <laughs> we can field a team. <laughs> yeah, we have five players, so... <laughs> 
Awesome. Oh, also, Logan Landers is gone. But yeah, that was people broke that news before it was actually official. But yeah, that, that that's been a thing for a while. So yeah, and but still, we yeah. have five now. Yeah, but yeah, we have five now with uh, the two new transfers, um, Ish, Marquise, and then Taj Manning. So, and if we have a walk-ons back, that gives us seven. That's a seven-man rotation. Hey. So. <laughs> We'll never be able to sit our bigs, but... <laughs> Jarrell, hope your conditioning's up. Hope so. But... <laughs> but, just because we currently have five on scholarships does not mean that there's not more around the corner. And this one isn't even from the transfer portal. It is from a 2022 guy. Yeah. And that is the highest-rated unsigned player for the 2022 class. That is five-star power forward Julian Phillips, which is a big deal for reasons that we can't really get into because we're not scum who gank paywalled information <laughs> for, for reasons we can't get into k-state has slowly entered the picture for julian phillips and that is the number 12 player in the country yeah it's he is <laughs> and he is visiting yep tomorrow yeah today if you're listening to it on the 22nd well i don't know if it's quite that soon i think he's visiting auburn next week and k-state the following week Who's, oh did i get it incorrect then i think so soon i am sorry but <laughs> that's fine I've but, been wrong on this on the yeah. show before several yeah. times. There, there's been a bit of confusion on when he is visiting. I don't think it's finalized. It's, but it is something that has been put out into the public sphere by a few sources. So it's not as if this is like some secret information that, like, can't be shared. But what we do know is that Julian Phillips is probably ninety-five percent likely to be coming on a visit to K State. Uh, he does have a visit to Auburn here really soon. He was a former LSU commit, then decommitted after uh, um, they fired their head coach, Will Wade, and everybody in that program just fled for the hills. Yeah, and, understandably so. But Julian Phillips, uh, he is, as Ace said, the highest-rated unsigned player available right now. He's a power forward. He's, uh, according to 24-7 uh, composite rankings, the number two Ranked power forward in the country, 6'8", 200 pounds. Rivals has him as a small forward. But when you get to be that tall and that skilled athletically at everything that you do, it's... You, you're not small. Yeah, yeah, you're you're, you're going to be positionless almost. I mean, he, he can probably run several positions uh, with the skill that he brings. But he would be the highest rated recruit, hypothetically, if he, if he were to commit. He'd be the highest rated recruit since 2009 when k-state signed five-star wally judge out of uh, jacksonville florida but julian phillips he is uh actually from kind of in our neck of the woods uh he's from branson missouri or at least he attends high school in branson missouri at link academy that is one of those prep schools that is kind of like a basketball factory so that, that's a place that K-State needs to be making inroads and making strong connections, similar to Sunrise Christian Academy in Wichita. That's another place K-State needs to focus on in the future. But Phillips, I mean, he's somebody that 
would immediately raise the recruiting profile of K-State immensely and would probably draw uh, more people because Phillips, in all honesty, is someone that probably wouldn't be a K-State for more than two seasons. And that's how we should want that because he would come here, leave after two years, go to the NBA most likely, if if we're being realistic. Yeah. And, I mean, he yeah, former LSU commit, I mean, and he's being heavily pursued by schools like Florida State and Tennessee and USC. And he's the, I mean, he's the 12th ranked player nationally, a five-star recruit. It's been a very, very long time since K-State has gotten a five-star recruit uh, to commit uh, over a decade since the last time that happened. And it would be the, perhaps the biggest statement possible that could be made by the new coaching staff if they came in and within a month or close to within a month of getting hired, 15. yeah, came in and were landing five-star recruits at Kansas State. So Phillips, he is somebody to keep, your ten- keep an eye on because it is finally starting to leak out into the public that he's most likely going to be taking a visit at K-State. But, um, and then one other guy, I guess, that is going to visit here pretty soon is Antoine Davis of Detroit. Is that who I was thinking of? Yes. Okay. Yes, he is visiting tomorrow, and he's that, that's kind of a poor transition, but it was just, <laughs> I just I almost I didn't want to forget about it. Yeah. Uh, Antoine Davis, uh, right now I believe he's the twenty second all time scorer in the NCAA, and he his stat line is just absolutely Insane. it's, it's ho- nuts. It's absolutely hilarious. I'm. <laughs> I think as a true freshman, he averaged something like 26-ish points per game. He averaged some ungodly amount of points in just every single year he's played. And you'd think at some point, when you're playing Division One basketball, no matter where you're at, you'd think at some point people would say like, oh, well, we got him figured out. We can just focus on him. Lo and behold, he every single year he would still maintain above twenty points a game. <laughs> yeah, um, KSU fan on Twitter, he did some uh, analysis of Antoine Davis, and I think it was he scored more than ten points in every single game he's ever played at the collegiate level, <laughs> and he, I think, has scored twenty five or more in half of his games. Which is just absolutely phenomenal. So shout out KSU fan. Yeah, KSU fan's a great follow on Twitter uh, for those that don't follow him yet. But Antoine Davis, and, and then also he did some analysis of uh, how he did against Power 5 competition, I recall. Mm. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was just something absolutely phenomenal. And, I mean, of course, you know, when you're scoring, you know, 24.6 points per game over your career, you're going to be a high-volume shooter, although that has actually gone down a little bit as he has uh, been in college ball a little longer. He's still shooting 40% on his career, 36% from three on his career, 88% from the free-throw line on his career. And then the high-usage rate will bring a high turnover rate, 3.6 turnovers per game. But honestly, 24 points a game for three turnovers a game. I'll take it. You should take that in a heartbeat. That's a remarkably low turnover rate for how much he's using the ball. 
And then 4.4 assists per game, 3.6 rebounds. You know, that's all extra. And then one steal, 1.3 steals per game on his career. But yeah, he, I mean, as a freshman in 2018, averaged 26 points per game. And it, it's phenomenal that he has had the career that he's had. And he's now a grad transfer. So I believe just the one year for him, maybe there's a COVID season in there as well. But just a natural born scorer. You can't ask for much more than what he brings. I mean, we can go over the last 10 games that he played last season where he had 26, 28, 18, 20, 31, 24, 26, 38, 17, and 24, which is just hilarious. But he is visiting K-State here pretty soon. He is going to be one of the top guards in the portal and if Casey lands them, you got to feel really good about uh, about how the roster is standing, yeah. Which, you know, I'm trying not to let my expectations for next year get up too high because you're going to have a nearly new roster, a nearly completely new roster, a brand new coaching staff. It's going to be a lot of new people trying to figure things out. And But if they get enough talent in here, they could potentially have a season as good as Iowa State had this past year because that would require them running the table in non-conference and being able to win seven games in Big 12 play, which I think that they would be capable of if they continue to land high-level prospects at the current rate that they are. Absolutely. So it's very exciting times to be, it, as he says, it's a great day to be a Wildcat. It is a great day to be a Wildcat. Bill Self said it himself. He did. I haven't quoted saying it's a great day to be Wildcat. Yeah, he is on voicemail audio saying it. So. Yeah, don't 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 read into the rest of the context, but uh, Bill Self said it's a great day to be Wildcat. It is true. The rumors are true. <laughs> anyway, that wraps up recruiting for this episode, but we still have to cover a couple sports, one very briefly, and then the other is bad cats. So <laughs> The sport that we're going to cover very briefly, I'll just go ahead and take it so you can give your voice a little bit of a rest. Go for it. (laughs) It is the K-State soccer team, and they had several games over these past couple of weeks, which was kind of weird just whenever you see randomly on your K-State app, like your K-State sports app, you're like, oh, soccer's playing. That's cool, I guess. You can't find it playing anywhere. It's not televised. not even sure it's radioed, but... Yeah, they've played a grand total of five games with, wait, four games with (laughs) a fifth coming up this Saturday. First one was against St. Louis, which is a 1-0 victory. Then we played Arkansas, which was a 0-3 loss. Then we played Air Force, which is a 1-2-1 tie, because we have to get every result in through our first three games. Then we played San Diego and ended up losing 1-2 end up playing no wait not san diego south dakota my apologies south dakota lost one to two and then they end up playing nebraska this saturday I told you it was going to be brief because it's, it's not soccer season yeah these are mostly exhibition yeah. games they're getting a new video board true boozer family park is getting a wait no is it boozer 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 b-u-s-e-r I think. Yeah, they're getting a video board. Yeah, they're getting a new video board, which is cool. Cool. Good for you. Good for them. Um, and hopefully they have a good season, but losses, a loss to South Dakota is not 
impressive. A thrashing against Arky. Yeah. Not impressive. Yeah, so hopefully they're able to figure it out this year, but they'll have to find a way to fill the void left by Brooklyn Nets <laughs> because Brooklyn Nets was really, really, really good. And I was happy to get to uh, watch her play soccer a few times because that was a treat because it was just hilarious watching someone be better than everybody on the field <laughs> perpetually. Yep. So kind of similar to Jordan Wicks last year. K-State's <laughs> had a, a lot of players like that recently where they really just have like a standout, I feel like. Yeah. Even in Rev, even in Rev Sports. Yeah, Deuce, uh, Nigel, Nigel, uh, Ayoka. Yeah, Yoki. And then uh, Jordan Wicks last year. Dylan and, Phillips this year. Yeah, Dylan Phillips this year. And then uh, uh, Brooklyn Entz last year. And then there's generally like a high jumper on the track team that just like destroys everybody because... And we're never cutting like, track again, ever. No, <laughs> we're not. We'll, we'll just briefly mention if they like win the Natty or something. Like, hey, track won the Natty. You can figure it out on your own. Yeah, just figure it out. Whatever. I don't care. But yeah, that's the soccer team. Now we can talk about the Batcats and we can talk about the other two games in the series. We actually talked about the first game last week. After getting back from that game, we were still riding that high. And we finished out the series against Texas. The second game was a H2-1 victory. The third game was a controversial 2-4 loss, but we'll talk about the third game in the series in its own time. But let's firstly begin talking about the second game, which was an 8-1 victory in which we both collectively dub it Bevo being butchered by the Batcats. Yes. Which, phenomenal win. Proud of that. But the scoring went something like, it was an 8-1 to victory, as I said. The scoring was KSU in the second, which was Justin Mitchell knocking in Nick Goodwin. Then Dom Hughes getting a sacrifice fly to knock in Nikoloff. Then in the sixth, Nikoloff singled up the middle, scoring Orlando Salinas. And then Texas's lone run on the day came from their catcher, Adwan, hitting one directly to left field, despite the wind, which was very intense on all of these games. Yeah. Because Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> yeah, every baseball game I've been to in like the last like month, which has been more than most, I would imagine, has been pretty it's much the ex- windy. It's pretty much been the exact same weather where <laughs> like the temperature's not bad and the wind is just absolutely horrid. It kills you. I had very chapped lips for like almost a week <laughs> after this series. <laughs> yeah. Then K State answered right back with Dom Johnson with a two run homer also to left field. Justin Mitchell ended up reaching on a fielder's choice to shortstop, which advanced which they then advanced on a throwing error, which caused Dylan Phillips to score. Kalen Culpepper in that same eighth inning ended up knocking in just, nope, Josh Nikoloff. And then another one in the eighth inning was a sacrifice fly again by Dom Johnson, which was scored Justin Mitchell, the catcher, which ended up was the final score of the day, which led to KSU winning 8-1. to one. Yeah, this was a honestly dominant game by K-State. Um... Blake Adams only allowing uh, a handful of hits, checking three the entire game. He had six strikeouts, three walks, only one run allowed, uh, and three hits on 108 pitches, seven full innings. Probably his best outing of the year, especially considering the competition. Just really a phenomenal 
job by Blake Adams. Happy to see him back as just a regular starter after we kind of tried that experiment with him coming out of the bullpen to use him multiple times, and it simply did not work. No, and I, I think Pete Hughes has learned his lesson. Yes. Hopefully. <laughs> I can see the allure in using your best pitcher twice, but there is a reason that he's a starter. So yes. I, I'm glad that he realized that. He's not Madison Bumgarner in the 2014 yep. World Series. Yep. <laughs> but, <laughs> he's not uh, that guy. Uh, Blake Adams, he it was, I believe, a scoreless outing until the seventh inning, as I recall. Yeah, because so, that was the one run. Yeah. So he uh, had gave six phenomenal uh, innings of runless baseball. And then Blake Corsentino came in. And in two innings, tossed just 18 pitches out of uh, three flyouts, a couple ground outs, then one strikeout. So nice job from Blake Horstantino to wrap up the game. But you know, beyond just that, we do have a few stats. Dom Johnson with the home run and then the sack fly. So he does go one for four, but he does get three RBI on the day. Uh, Orlando Salinas goes one for four with a walk and a strikeout. Cole Johnson, one of his uh, worst games on the season, going over with a strikeout. Dylan Phillips goes one for four on the day, and then Nick Goodwin goes two for three on the day, as well as a uh, hit by pitch. Although he did get thrown out on the base path, I believe, or did he get thrown out at uh, you got first? Picked off. Yeah, he got picked off. Yeah, because. P.O. is pickoff, I believe, in yeah, base running. Yeah, P.O. is pickoff, yeah. And that's super advanced in baseball stat keeping. But <laughs> Josh Nikoloff had an excellent day. He went 3-for-3 three three with an RBI, uh, a walk, and two runs. So Nikoloff has kind of been a hot bat as of late yeah. after having a very, very slow start to the season. Uh, Justin Mitchell won for four with two RBI and a run, the slowest human being on earth. <laughs> I don't remember what game it was, but it was hilarious when he got batted in from first, like stand up. I forget what game it was, but it was just really fun. I think it might have been one of the Oklahoma State games, but it was just really funny. Dom Hughes, uh, he goes 0 for 2 with a uh, sack fly. And then Brendan Jones, pinch hits, goes uh, 1 for 1. Then Kalen Culpepper, 2 for 4 with an RBI and a run. So, all-around solid day. Mitchell had a double in this as well. Don Johnson did have another sack fly. But, I mean, just utter domination by K-State in this game. That's not often something that you see uh, for K-State against Texas. Uh, but 12 K-State hits to just three for Texas in this game. Two errors for Texas to zero for K-State. A rare sight. It's a miracle, John. <laughs> but, yeah, they... Uh, uh, Texas was a little shorthanded in this game. They did not have Ivan Melendez, who was one of the best hitters in the Big 12, but he was there the day before, which K-State still won that game. So there's that. Yeah. But then the controversial game happened. We'll, we'll talk about the stats before we talk about the controversy. How about that? Sure. University of Texas ended up winning this game 4-2. to two. The scoring started in the second by K-State off the Justin Mitchell sack why? Yeah. Yes, a sacrifice fly that scored Nick Goodwin. Then Texas answered right back in the third with a sacrifice fly, which scored Faltine. And Staley reached on a throwing error by Kalen Culpepper, which then scored the second run of the game. 
But don't worry, K-State came back in the fourth inning to tie it back up with a Justin Mitchell yeah, fielder's choice, which advanced Dylan Phillips to score. Then in the sixth inning, Campbell ended up getting a double to right center for Texas, which scored the third run for them. And then in the they got an insurance run in the ninth inning with a sacrifice fly, which scored Faltine again. So that, you know, we can't, it's, it's four runs. You can't be really angry at your pitching staff for that. What you can be angry about is the controversy, yeah. which involved a play in which Dom Johnson was stealing second base on a three-ball count. The runner ended up walking, so Dom Johnson did not need to advance. He did not need to sprint his way to second base. Dom Johnson took what I suppose Texas took exception to, which was a slide into second base, which they viewed as a little bit too violent, and then all hell broke loose. (laughs) Yeah, it it was a a really unfortunate moment because, uh, yeah, it's Dom Johnson. He he walked on base, and he, as you said, he was going to steal second on a 3-1 count, and... He reaches second, and uh, he he was tagged out, but because it was a ball four, that no longer matters. However, the controversy stems from the um, second base umpire, yeah, uh, who did not see the called ball four because he had his back turned watching the steal, called Johnson out, and then none of the umpires seemed to do anything about it. Which I thought was very strange. Yeah. And then um, they, um, and then uh, there were some uh, Texas players that had something to say to Dom Johnson, which is hilarious that they were also unable to discern that Dom Johnson was actually safe. But they, uh, they had some things to say. Dom Johnson was chatting right back, about to fight pretty much the entire infield. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, then uh, a few players uh, came out of the K-State dugout, as well as on the Texas side. Uh, most of the team on both sides were about to get out of the dugout, but if multiple players came all the way out past the foul line for K-State, as well as for Texas. The difference is for Texas, their players were wearing jackets. Yeah, they were wearing their jackets because uh, they were all out in the field. And K-State, since they were hitting their fielders, uh, no reason for them to put on jackets when they're about to go right back out. So Nick Goodwin and Kalen Culpepper got ejected for leaving the dugout. And that's something that would have never happened had the umpires gotten the right call in the first place and simply just called Don Johnson safe because there was no need for there to be there was no a call. Play. There was no play. Yeah, so so he because he had second regardless. So they eventually were able to come to that conclusion after about 15 minutes of hitting their heads against the wall. And they put Dom Johnson back on second. But at that point, the damage was done. The entire left side of the infield was ejected. So Brady Day placed third, which he is the secondary third baseman. Then Orlando Salinas, who is not a shortstop by trade. He was the shortstop for that game as well as the following game. And that really threw off the batting order when Nick Goodwin, who's been a hot bat as of late, we really needed him out there and then Kalen Culpepper who had had a solid a uh, few games against Texas as well um unfortunately got ejected as well Culpepper who saved for a few recent instances had a really nice 
uh, season as a true freshman at third. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that game really threw that mess up by the umpires really threw off the rest of the game. And but unfortunately, the bats couldn't get going anyways. Because, I mean, this was a winnable game for the Cats. Just probably shouldn't have ever been in this kind of situation. Especially yeah. because, I mean, you put, what was that, like a 15-minute stop yeah. on the game. And then it's not much of a uh, uh, coincidence, I think, that um, because of that big-time uh, gap in play... Uh, for K-State's defense, they changed pitchers, uh, of course, Santino kind of haphazardly, and uh, then Texas gets a go-ahead run in that inning. And then, of course, they would get the insurance run in the ninth, which they just barely got by the skin of their teeth uh, because K-State did throw someone out at second right as somebody was uh, crossing home. It was a really close play, but he was safe at home. But, you know, this is a situation that might have been able to be avoided had the right call been made in the first place. But that is just speculation. Cats still, despite all that, they do take the series mm-hmm. over Texas. And they were two, three runs away from their first ever sweep of Texas. They have never swept the Texas Longhorns, ever. Which Jeez. is phenomenal. But, which, granted, they haven't been playing them that long. And K-State's baseball history is not exactly illustrious. <laughs> but, you know... Really tough for K State. Seems that it's been things have been getting chippy with Texas recently in a lot of sports. Um, I wonder why? Yeah, it's, it's just some sort of coincidence, I guess. It feels like women's basketball has granted Texas goes chippy with everybody in women's basketball. True. Um, men's basketball to a certain degree, which granted, I think that's more just Chris Beard being Chris Beard and angering everyone the Big Twelve simultaneously. It seems. Yeah. And football, I imagine, we'll see an interesting game uh, next year after the events of the game this year. <laughs> but it's uh, an unfortunate loss for K-State, but nevertheless, still very proud of uh, bouncing back after a really poor start in Big 12 play with some heartbreakers as well as a few blowouts. Uh, but, I mean, like this is a team that could have very easily won a few extra games in the conference that they just weren't quite able to get. Like this first game against TCU, they probably should have had that. Uh, the first and second game against Oklahoma State, they probably could have gotten as well. But there was a hole out there. But there was a hole out I'm not reliving that. <laughs> <laughs> and then Texas Tech. The um, last game. Yeah, the last game they lose on a walk-off home run. Again, that's revisionist history, so I'm not going to linger on like moral victories or whatever. But it is easy to squint a little and see this Batcats team doing a lot better uh, than they have been. And then, you know, above all, they've had, I believe, statistically the most difficult opening schedule in Big 12 history in back-to-back seasons. Yeah. That tracks. Yeah. tracks. But the bright side of that is it should get easier on the downslope. And then they they did take out their frustrations on a few other opponents after this 2-4 to loss uh, against Texas. So. Yeah. Which, speaking of, the first game was up against Wichita State, which I will forever be dubbing the Twitter guy game. Or or Twitter girl. I don't know. But... Who's to say? They were having the time of their lives with this game. And this was a convincing, we'll say, K-State victory against the Wichita State Shockers, which ended up 12-1. to Yeah. And we almost had the shutout, but in the ninth inning... 
much to the chagrin of the person running the Twitter account, they scored in the ninth inning. But in terms of K-State scoring, it started off in the first inning with Orlando Salinas ended up uh, advancing to second, then Dom Johnson scoring on a wild pitch. In the second, Jeff Heinrich ended up walking home a run, Brady Day specifically scoring that one. Then the next one, the was scoring on an error, in which Justin Mitchell scored. And then it just kept coming and coming on in the second inning. Orlando Salinas ended up reaching on a fielder's choice, which Dom Hughes ended up scoring on. Then Josh Nikoloff ended up advancing Jeff Heinrich to score. Then the third inning happened. Brady Day ended up tripling, which scored Cole Johnson for the sixth run of the day, if you're keeping track at home. Then Dom Hughes ended up singling, and then Brady Day ended up scoring for the seventh run. Run number eight came on Dom Johnson's on a fielder's choice with Dom Hughes scoring. Run number 10 came with Josh Nikoloff knocking in Jeff Heinrich and Dom Johnson to cap off the scoring in the third. Then in the fourth, Jeff Heinrich ended up doubling down the line, which advanced Mitchell to the plate, scoring the 11th run. And then the 12th and final run was also scored in the fourth inning, in which was a sacrifice fly by Dom Johnson, which ended up advancing Dom Hughes. And then in the pity run that was given to Wichita State, they scored a single run in the bottom of the ninth inning. Yeah, which is unfortunate. You'd like to preserve the shutout uh, that came with one out, so it wasn't like a two out, at least, where you were just about to get it. But it was, uh, I mean, this was all K-State from the very beginning of the game. I mean, Dom Johnson walked 3-0 to begin this game, and that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. So, (laughs) I mean, not much to complain about here if you're K-State. I think they clearly... We're taking out some frustrations that they had from not being able to sweep Texas, which yeah. is fair. I think that they felt they deserved to get the sweep against Texas, and it's hard to argue with that because they did kind of squander uh, the game on Saturday, not by much fault of their own. Granted, yeah. that they could have hit a little better, but still probably shouldn't have been in that position anyways. We can thank the second base umpire for that. Oh, boy. Yeah, but it was absolutely phenomenal game. I'll- incredibly you can't ask for a much hotter start than this save for that game last year against like it was like arkansas pine bluff yeah or it's like texas state or something like that where they scored like 16 runs in the first inning or something crazy like that i remember i like went and picked up dinner like and i left and then like the game was starting and like i checked my phone when i got there and it was like five zero it's like what's happening here i, I started listening to it on, like on my drive like back home mm-hmm. and it just kept going i started watching and just laughed <laughs> but this game kind of similar and another thing i guess to mention about this game is wow wichita state has really fallen uh, this was this is a Wichita State team that does have a natty in baseball. They won the College World Series in the past, yeah. and they historically have been a really good baseball program. But with Wichita State seemingly on a downward trend and KU continuing to struggle, K State's the best program in the state, pretty much undisputed right now in terms of baseball. So it's an interesting position to be in, especially because K State is not having as good of a season as they would have liked. They're still above 500, which is better than what any of these other programs can say. But yeah, Especially given the, the absolute gauntlet we've had to run. Yeah, it, it's been a very difficult schedule for, for K-State, as well as having to break in some newcomers. But, I mean, we can get to the, uh, the uh, players now. Don Johnson, 
He actually went over in this game despite having two RBI and two runs, but he uh, uh, does draw a walk in this game. Uh, he adds a sacrifice fly uh, to that as well. So, Dom, Dom Johnson, uh, productive game. Uh, Brandon Jones pinch hit for him at one point, went over. Uh, Orlando Salinas had six at bats in this game <laughs> and struck out on four of them and then added one hit. So, not a great game for him. Nikoloff went one for five with three RBI in this game because uh, I believe he, I forget exactly what he did to get all those RBI. Could go back and check, not going to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, we, we won the game 12-1. We don't yeah, need to yeah. dive into everything. Uh, Rusley, pinch hit, went 0-for-1 for him. Haven't seen a lot of cash Rusley recently. Phillips went 0-for-4 with a walk. Uh, struck out three times, but again, we didn't really need him to have a great day. Cole Johnson went 1-for-4. Uh, Cam Musselton walked. Uh, and then uh, Brady Day uh, went 3-for-4 in this game playing for Kalen Culpepper, who I imagine was being held out after uh, the um, ejection in the Texas game. But phenomenal day for Brady Day. Three for four, two runs, an RBI, a walk, no strikeouts. Mitchell uh, scored two runs, only had one at-bat, and then drew two walks. Interesting. Uh, Good set, right? Yeah. And Raphael Pelletier went over with a walk. And a strikeout. Dom Hughes, two for four, three runs, an RBI, and a walk and a strikeout. Jeff Heinrich, two for four, two RBI, and then one walk. We can get to pitching. And it was, uh, I mean, you can't really complain. It was a good day for the pitching staff. I mean, Herman Fajardo went five innings, no earned, two hits, four strikeouts, one walk, 76 pitches. Uh, not a normal starter. Normally he's a reliever, so probably trying to keep that pitch count down a little bit more. Yeah. And then Ben Weber. Everybody clap at Ben. Everyone clap for Ben. <laughs> Three innings, just one hit, uh, and four walks and four strikeouts. Ben Weber is somebody that we did not see for the first couple months of the season, and in the last few weeks has been quite good. Yeah. So like to see the emergence of some bullpen guys. And then... Someone needs to. Yep. And Landry Jerica came in for the ninth inning, gave up three hits as well as an earned run, and had two strikeouts. So unfortunately, was not able to preserve the shutout. But I'm that not going cares. to complain. <laughs> so, cares. Yeah, but Herman Fajardo credited with the victory, of course. Uh, Robert Kranz in one inning for Wichita State gave up three earned runs, five total runs and on three hits and a wild pitch gets credited with the loss can't imagine why yeah no uh ryan uh stump fig uh one and two thirds five earned five hits uh i mean it was just pretty much not a good day for the wichita state pitching yeah they went through six pitchers and pretty much none of them were able to figure it out until the ninth inning when i think everybody just wanted to go home especially kansas state considering that they had a game the next day and had to travel back to manhattan which granted is not a long drive what hour 45 yeah it's something like it's two hours max but still you know probably want to get the guys home get them fed and back in bed because you know they start a game against Wichita State at 6 p.m. on April 18th, and then just 24 hours later they're starting another game versus Omaha, and this was actually a comeback victory for. You wouldn't be able to tell from the final score. No, you wouldn't be able to tell, but this was a comeback victory. 
in a situation that was honestly kind of looking dire. Yeah. Because we were at this game, we were in attendance. Um, we were not having a good time for the first like six innings. Yeah, we were losing. It was cold, cold, very cold, and we just could not get it going. We only had like three hits or something through like six innings or something like that. It was rough, and they were dealing. All the belligerent drunk students had left and stopped trolling. And it was not fun anymore. It wasn't <laughs> fun anymore. Yeah, really long game. Three hours, 45 minutes as well. The pitch clock did not have the intended effect of this game. <laughs> but your Kansas State Wildcats ended up winning 11-3. to The scoring started off with Omaha in the first, which was a double to left field, which scored Hannafin. Then in the second, there was a, another run scored off a throwing error. Imagine that, but it was a failed pickoff attempt. Mm-hmm. But an error is an error is an error. But then in the second, K-State scored their first run of the game by walking in Kalen Culpepper. Dom Johnson had a good eye, that IB. But then in the fifth inning, the Omaha... Mavericks. Mavericks? Yeah. The Omaha Mavericks... Ended up scoring via a single, which scored a guy named Dank. Because, of course, there's a guy named Dank on the Omaha school. With an E, no, no. With an, yes, with an E. That's an important distinction. <laughs> <laughs> and then the scoring just kind of stopped for a while. And then the seventh inning happened, and K-State woke up. Jeff Heinrich ended up hitting a grand slam straight to left field, which scored Brady Day, Nick Goodwin, and Dylan Phillips. And then, not one to be outdone, Rafael Pelletier also hit a home run to left center field. That was the next pitch. It was the next pitch. Yeah, it wasn't just the next at-bat, it was the next pitch, because that was a 0-0 count, and Pelletier just came in and just smacked a home run. The guy was not having a good three pitches. <laughs> no. And then Cole Johnson ended up singling later in the inning, which scored Brandon Jones, or Brendan. Brendan. Yeah. yeah, Brendan Jones. I thought that was right. But the Cats weren't done in the eighth inning after scoring, you know, six yeah. the previous inning. They decide that they're going to score four more, starting off with a Josh Nikoloff single, which ended up scoring Nick Goodwin, a Rafael Pelletier advancing, and a Josh Nikoloff scoring on a wild pitch, and then a Cole Johnson singling, knocking in both Brendan Jones and Rafael Pelletier which was the final score of 11-3 in favor of the Batcats after, you know, a less-than-stellar start. Yeah, I mean, for a while, Omaha was just absolutely dominating this game, (laughs) which was depressing. And I think we can attribute at least some of that to probably everybody was just really tired. Yeah. Because they just played an away game the day before against a different opponent and to come back play another game in a different place against a, against new players. So you had to completely reset, uh, as well as you know doing all of this on a Monday and Tuesday after you just played a three-game series on that previous Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, I mean, that's five games in six days for the baseball team, which, granted, it is baseball. You know, they're probably used to that to some degree. But regardless, you still have to take that into account, playing two games in about 24 hours. But... I mean, the Batcats, I, I think this game, in hindsight, probably went about the way it should have with Casey kind of sleepwalking through the beginning of the game and then realizing we are here to play baseball. <laughs> and started playing yeah. baseball. Yeah, and then it ended up being a totally Batcats game where they just absolutely went off in 
two innings, and that was more than enough. K-State gets 11 runs on 11 hits. Omaha gets 10 hits in this game and only three runs. So, I mean, that's what winning teams do is, you know, they make the most of their hits. And it's, it's really frustrating when teams aren't able to do that, especially in K-State. You know, that's, <laughs> it's not often that that happens to them. Runs are generally not the crux of their issues. But K-State did have two errors in this game as well. Yeah, which is the crux of our issue. <laughs> yes, that and relief pitching. But, yeah, yeah it was a, a nice game for the Backcats by the end. Dom Johnson goes 0 for 2 with three walks and two strikeouts. Really adhering to the true outcomes of baseball <laughs> is Dom Johnson. No wonder Pete Hughes loves him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Dom Only Johnson. just need a bunt. Yeah, and he got hit by a pitch as well. So We'll count that as his bunt. Okay. Now we'll allow it. Cole Johnson goes 3 for 6 in this game with 3 RBI. Really nice day for Cole Johnson, who has been really good recently. Dylan Phillips, bit of a slump as of late. 1 for 5 with 1 run, a walk, and a strikeout. Nick Goodwin goes 0 for 3 with two walks, two runs, and a strikeout. Josh Nikoloff, 2 for 5 with a run and an RBI and a strikeout. Kalen Culpepper back in the lineup along with Nick Goodwin, uh, 0 for 2 with a run and a walk. And Brady Day, a uh, pinch hit for him eventually, and drew a walk and scored a run. Jeff Heinrich went 2 for 4 with a double and a home run, 4 RBI, on that grand slam for Jeff Heinrich, as well as a strikeout, which I'll allow it if the trade-off is at a grand slam. Yeah. First grand slam for the Cats since I believe Chris Ceballos in on senior day against TCU wow. last year during that wow. comeback. That's a long time. Yeah, because I mean that was a huge grand slam uh, last year for Chris Ceballos as well, because that was the last hit in Toynton last year. Yeah. Because uh, it was that because. Because we were going into that bottom of the ninth, down by four, and we ended up winning by four. Yeah. <laughs> Which, that was a phenomenal game to watch. But uh, Orlando Salinas, uh, 0 for 1, it's a strikeout. Starting to notice a pattern with Orlando Salinas striking out a lot. Hmm. But Raphael Pelletier giving Justin Mitchell the day off. He deserves it. Uh, went 2 for 4 with a home run and a double. Uh, the lone RBI, of course, was himself. And then two strikeouts for Pelletier. Usselton, Cameron Usselton, goes one for two and draws one walk. And then Brendan Jones goes over, uh, and he got hit. No, he did not get hit by a pitch. Walked. Uh, he walked once. I believe he pinch ran at one point. Stole two bases in this game as well. So nice day for Brendan Jones scoring two runs. And that does it for the batting lineup for the Cats. Dylan Phillips and Nick Goodwin also stole bases in this game. I believe at one point we executed a successful double steal. Which is rare. Yeah, that's a nice little Little League move from (laughs) Pete. Pete. Job, Pete. Yeah, then we had three players get hit by pitches. Don Johnson, Usselton already mentioned. Raphael Pelletier being the remaining one. And fielding errors from Orlando Salinas. And then the the starting pitcher, Wes Moore, who did not have the best outing unfortunately he didn't have an awful yeah. outing it but... wasn't it wasn't terrible it could have been worse but yeah. it wasn't great now he in three and a third gave up four hits one earned run on two total runs four walks and three strikeouts one of the very few lefties on this roster yeah i think one of three yeah there's only three i cannot off the top of my head name the other two it might actually just be two 
We're going to do some research. Keep talking. Keep talking. We'll figure it out. Ty Rule, uh, he gets credited with the win for this game. Goes three and two-thirds, five hits, only one run. It was earned with a walk and three strikeouts. Wes Moore, he did throw 74 pitches in three and a third. And then Ty Rule uh, goes 51 pitches in three and two-thirds. Tyson Neighbors came in and uh, for two-thirds of an inning, uh, gave up a hit two walks and a strikeout and uh, he threw 21 pitches but he was able to figure it out he loaded up the bases and in typical tyson neighbors fashion was able to get out of the jam he created and, <laughs> and then dylan, one does and dylan phillips came in and had one of the most dylan phillips outings of all time he went one and a third and struck out four and yeah he did face five batters and i'm unable to figure out where he faced that fifth batter because he had four strikeouts and one in the third because it just doesn't look i believe him but okay sure uh, also we only have two it's wesley moore and grant nicholson yes and i don't think we've ever seen grant nicholson no so. we've we have not seen grant nicholson we would know if we had seen grant nicholson yes leaving it at that but <laughs> because he's one of two lefties that's why because the other one's wes which granted i do think dylan phillips is a lefty but he barely counts as a pitcher oh yeah he's just more of like a if we need him we use him sort of guy yeah but yeah that does it for this final bat cats outing 11 to 3 victory puts the bat cats at 19 and 17 going into a weekend series against uh uc irvine yeah it is irvine which, if you want to come out to those games, it is $2 Hot Dog Friday, which... That's a good deal. They're normally 4 They're normally 50? 4 bucks. Yeah, 4 4 50 something like that. And so. let, me, let me tell you a little something. I'm not sure if you're going to go. you plan on going? Maybe? TBD. Okay. I may go just for the hot dogs. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fiend for some hot dogs. Yeah, someone's going to take that out of context. But <laughs> please, no one make an out-of-context Aggieville Alley Cats account. That would, God, that would suck. But <laughs> then, like I said, a diversity inclusion game on Saturday and then Bark in the Park on Sunday. Yep. So, uh, Scott, if you've made it this far, bring Chauncey. Yep. Yeah, feel free. Bring out Chauncey on Sunday. It's an 11 a.m. first pitch. That's uh, the... One of the earliest games of the season, as I can recall. Yeah. Because normally that Sunday game's a 2 p.m. Uh, first pitch, but for some reason it's at 11, which honestly I'm okay with. Started earlier. Oklahoma crying about it, even though it's not their game. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, nice for the Backcats to end up with a season sweep of Omaha. Because they, they won the earlier game kind of in similar fashion, honestly, getting out. Uh, to Except it was more the reverse. They get out to a really fast lead. And still end up winning, whereas this one was more of the uh, just blow, you know, blow them up late. Card. Yeah, blow them up late. Kind of the opposite of the Wichita State game as well. Yeah. But yeah, then after that UC, UC Irvine game, uh, they're going to have four straight road contests. They're going to play the return game at Nebraska, who, as I understand it, they have been really struggling this year. And then they're going to go on the road down to Norman, and they're going to face Oklahoma, who I not super familiar with this year but last year they were able to take the series over them two to one so hopefully they're able to repeat that this season we're trying to use the huskers website but it appears it is uh 
completely gone. I have found. I have found. <laughs> Yeah, 14 and 21 for the preseason favorite to win the Big Ten. I'd imagine they're not going to be doing that now, considering they lost 21 to 4 against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. That's a tough. They did sweep Ohio State, so I think Ohio State kind of. Oh, (laughs) this is perhaps the most erratic baseball team I've ever seen. So is this the Batcats last year? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) but yeah, tough season for. Uh, Nebraska thus far. Shame could happen. Could happen to anybody. Not a shame, though. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, we are at Aggieville Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balzor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show in a financial sense, please be sure to visit the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Doom Tank Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.